0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Panetta. As always, I got to say it, we're downtown in Salem, Oregon, in studio, Salem's home to Groundwork, a leadership institute. And, you know, the fun little episode today, uh, wanted to talk about some updates to our curriculum, wanted to talk about some changes that we've made. And, you know, I decided to bring our intern into the studio with me today. Uh, I thought, why not? And he's been bugging me about, hey, why can't I be on the show? And uh, he jokingly puts his his name on the list of uh, future guests that I have on my whiteboard. You know, I have these folks that we're going to be interviewing and scheduled out, and his name keeps appearing there. I erase it, it appears there again. So I thought, why not? Let's get him in the studio. Let's have him talk about the curriculum as well, because that's why he's here as an intern. He's actually been working to consolidate update, refine some of our, our curriculum, uh, and so I think he's got, you know, actually some valuable things to say about it. So with that, uh, for those of you returning to the show, again, always thank you for listening. I think that you'll find this episode interesting because we're going to dive into our curriculum and uh, we're going to talk about where it, where it started, where it is now, all right? And then for any new listeners, this is a great way to kind of understand what the rooted framework is which is what our podcast is named after, the Rooted Leadership Framework. So with that, TK, our intern, and he insists that he's called the intern. So I'm not trying to be derogatory by any means. He really embellishes that, uh, <laughs> that term. Really try to own it. Yeah, there you go. So TK, introduce yourself for us, my friend.
1: Yeah. So my name's TK. I'm here on my internship with Mountain West. Uh, <laughs> and I am was hired to essentially work on consolidating, simplifying, condensing, and working with the framework, I think primarily to introduce it to new audiences. Because, you know, as a, as a leadership institute, you know, you have this multi-day workshop you're going through. And that's just, you know, when we're going into other organizations, other groups, you just don't have that much time. Yeah. And so how do we effectively teach it to those different groups in a much shorter, condensed period yeah. of time?
0: So, but, so that's, we're going to dive into that, but tell us about who you are though. I mean, introduce yourself, man. I mean, tell us why you've just really loved and embellished that term intern here and you kind of make jokes about it around the office and where you come from and what you care about. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm from Hawaii currently just finishing up my degree in intercultural peace building at BYU Hawaii. I've been there for the last four years. Yeah. I grew up in Hawaii. Um, I've lived there, you know, for most of my life. And so I always lived in the shadow of, of BYU and ended up deciding to go there for school, studying peace building. Mm -hmm. Um, got married there, got married a year and a half ago, uh, to my wife, Julia. Um, She's great. She's great. She's Mm -hmm. here with me, uh, in Salem. Um, she has been really supportive of this. Um, so I don't know what else, what else do you want to know about me, Chris? What do you what do you think, well, just, do you think the viewers you know, want to know? Introduce yourself big we, always Star Wars our, fan. we always
0: have our guests introduce themselves. So, you know, tell us. Really qualified. Tell us what's interesting about yourself, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, what's interesting about me? It's not that much. But you know, <laughs> I'm pretty a pretty boring guy. He's, I'm pretty I boring. <laughs> I you know, I'm a big fan of Star Wars. It's not boring. Gotta it's throw great. that out there. That's great. That's my big inspiration, episode six, Return uh, yeah. of the Jedi. Very big peace building, conflict resolution centric movie. There you go. Little known fact. Um, and then the Magic the Gathering, I feel like I can't, you know, do myself justice without mentioning
0: that here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tell Tell them about the nickname you gave yourself and why you feel it's so compelling to an audience. Yeah. So, you know. And remember, we, for <laughs> listeners, this was all him. Nobody said this to him. Well, you know,
1: say. we'll talk about accountability later as part of the framework, um, you know, so, you know, I'm not going to, you know, we'll just just throw that out there. But yeah, so uh, one of the terms that Chris likes to refer to me as is is a uh, bottom of the barrel. No, that's a lie. I do not refer to him as that term, uh, but <laughs> it's just a joke in the office because uh, I just, you know, I joke that we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. And that's frankly why I'm on the podcast, because, you know, couldn't get anybody else. And so he got a scrape for it. But uh
0: <laughs> which both things are not true. We have great guests. <laughs> and TK is not the bottom of the barrel. He has a lot to offer. Obviously, he's really helped us um grow and enhance some of our curriculum and very uniquely qualified for it um as an intern and with his, you know, his experience while still finishing up college. You know, proud dad moment for your dad, is uh, Chad Ford, who's been a guest on our show a couple of times, author of Dangerous Love, and the reason I bring that up is because what's uniquely qualified you for this is you really were heavily involved in the creation of the Dangerous Love curriculum um, with your your dad, and uh, and it's a remarkable curriculum. So, uh, and you've also assisted in some kind of refreshing curriculum for the Arbinger Institute at the school, not for the actual Arbinger Institute, but yeah. at your at the university where they use some of the curriculum. So. A lot of experience, more than the average person in, in curriculum development, and very much so the the curriculum that you've had experience in lends itself strongly to yeah. the Rooted Framework. So, it was just a great opportunity for somebody to focus 100% in on the curriculum, consolidate it, uh, and and do a lot of the heavy lifting and legwork in in kind of the next step of its development. So, no, we're not scraping the bottom of the barrel with TK. He's got a lot to offer. And obviously we have amazing guests on our show. Um uh all the time. So TK, glad you could join me in today. Cause uh I wanted to update folks on the curriculum. Look, we've had, you know, the first, I think first five or six episodes, we dive into the curriculum. Basically the analogy of it, and we talk about some of its meaning kind of at this deep theoretical level. Uh but there's been a lot of changes. And one of the changes that I want to start with is this, and that we discovered this obviously through trial and error with uh, you know having an institute and leaders in front of us and hearing their feedback. and And so one of the big things that we've done, which sounds really simple, but at first we would talk about soil, seeds, and weeds, and then we would get right into what we call the cultivation process or innovation, transformation process. And we didn't spend enough time defining what the terms actually mean what soil means, what we mean by seeds, what we mean by weeds. And so now we take the time in our curriculum to actually discuss that. We talk about it. We have people reflect on what it is in their own life. And then then we transition to, okay, well, if this is what your soil is, how do you now cultivate it? So for example, the way we describe soil is soil equals the people. So when we're talking about soil, we're talking about the people. So if you're talking about the soil in your organization, it's the people, right? It makes complete sense. But the determining factors of its soil, of sorry, of the health of the soil, would be what we are referring to as way of being. It's kind of like this perspective, this attitude. The Arbinger Institute calls it mindset. And so, for if if people in our organization are having a way of being that Martin Buber calls "I it," which is where others become objects to me, they don't matter like I matter, uh, then the soil is going to be Toxic. It's not going to be healthy, right? The Arbinger Institute calls that inward mindset. And we reference the Arbinger Institute all the time in this podcast. It's a poor attitude. It's a poor perspective. It's kind of a selfish, you know, a self, self-interested sort of perspective. And if you have people in an organization and that's their mentality, that's their way of being, your soil is going to be toxic. Versus what Martin Buber calls an I-Thou uh, sort of way of being, and 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 I-Thou cultivates I-thou relationships, which we call kind of being together in a together sort of a way versus an I-it relationship is together, but in a separate sort of a way. We don't want to fully accept the connection that we have to others or the humanity that we have, that the humanity that others might have. Uh, And when you have an, an organization or a community where the soil is full of people that are seeing each other as people, seeing each other as others that matter, There's a better attitude, better perspective. It's more selfless than selfish, right? And that would be an ingredient for healthy soil. So we define what not only what soil is as people, but now there's determining factors, which is this way of being, this choice that people have of what sort of relationships they want to be cultivating and creating. And then obviously the indicators that are very tangible is culture. I mean, you can walk into an organization and you can immediately feel the culture based on how the layout is. How people treat one another, the energy in the room—you can you can quickly get a sense and even measure culture. So when we're talking about soil, we're talking about all of that. It's the people, it's the it's the way of being or the mindset, the attitude, whatever we want to call it, and it's the uh, the the, term, the indicators as culture. Uh, so that distinction alone has helped our curriculum enhance quite a bit because now. They know exactly what we're talking, when I say they, I mean the the leaders that, that are in our institute, they know exactly what we're talking about when we say, "No, well, now we have to cultivate it, which means we have to build stronger relationships. We need to have a higher level of accountability, right? We need to deeply see, which is understanding our why and being more connected to our personal why and our organizational why. So all of it kind of comes together. So, and we do the same thing, mind you, for seeds and weeds. We define what seeds are as ideas. We define what weeds are as conflict and so on. So tell us a you know a little bit about your journey because you it's not like you had sat through a training you know I walked you through some of the curriculum you know step by step but then you dove into the into it into the booklet into the slides so tell us about the importance of that realization of the distinction between what what the what we mean by the actual analogy and then what the curriculum now guides us to do with that analogy so it's not just a oh yeah that's a great idea
1: yeah that's that's a great. We uh, were to frame that because I think you know even if we scale it back a little bit further to one of I think even the earlier realizations we have was the inclusion of fruit in the analogy because I think you know we we talk about all these different things of soil seeds and weeds but there, there's an overarching purpose mm. that goes with all of them and and you know in, in our new kind of diagram we have you can see that really visually. But it's just the idea that you know, as an organization, as a community, even as individuals in our lives, there are certain outcomes that we we hope to see, change, we hope to inspire um, whatever it is. And we do the soil work, we work with the seeds, we work with the weeds, all pointing us to trying to create these positive outcomes that we're orienting to. And I, I think we just by delving into more of what each of these different aspects are, I think we're helping people better understand as you know what what is the purpose? Of seeing things through this analogy of soil seeds and weeds. Yeah.
0: Because ultimately, and this is what we've gotten a lot more clear on as well, is the whole creation of the rooted framework is to create change, specifically transformational change. And so the importance, the importance of understanding what the fruit is that we want or the outcome, the desired, you know, result is crucial because then it it brings this holistic perspective on all the things that need to be happening or or being considered or taken into account as it relates to my, let's say in, in an organization, my work in a community, my community. Uh, so soil starts to bring on a whole new meaning seeds do weeds do, but it's all directed towards the fruit that we're trying to, um, uh, achieve, right. Or, or obtain. Uh, so you're right. I think that's a a really important distinction and we get into that right away with folks in the curriculum of what is it that you care about? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? Because as soon as you identify that, obviously all of this becomes a lot more, um, uh, applicable and, and, and relatable. Uh, and so, yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the new perspective that we, that we take on, um, with it.
1: And I think part of the utility of that, I think, you know, just as I've, you know, as I've worked through the curriculum and what I see from that is it just gives us incredible focus and direction to our efforts. And that's when we talk about this pattern of organizing our thoughts and behaviors and our actions as we're trying to inspire and create transformational change. And I think that the framework, not only just the inclusion of fruits, but the whole thing really provides this structure and this focus where we really know what the purpose of everything that we're doing is. And then we're really able to just hone in and focus on that.
0: Yeah. I think that what you said, the pattern and the the perspective, we use the term lens a lot. Um, and, and with the research that we're conducting on the framework, that's one of our biggest hopes and outcomes from it is that it becomes a very, very helpful lens and and, you know, I hate to keep using this word, but framework to use to organize our thoughts, to organize our work. It's a holistic approach. Uh and and I think it helps things like cu- you know, curriculum and ideas like outward mindset, which we're a great partner to the Arbinger Institute. We love their work, but it brings that into perspective as well of why is that work so important? Um, and how exactly does it help accomplish uh results? Because Arbinger, you know, their first framework uh that they have is this results behavior mindset, right? And it's, and they, you know, which is great. It's, you know, we all, we, 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 we know that behaviors are what drive certain level of results and that what drives behavior, well, it's mindset, right? But they, there's not a ton of time spent in those behaviors. There are kind of relational behaviors, you know, they get into in the, some of their other curriculum of building relationships, uh, uh, uh listening and learning, you know, uh, what's the other one? Teaching, communicate. Right, there's other tools that they have, and if you're familiar with the Arbinger Institute, you you understand those tools. So they they show that these sort of behaviors that help produce some of those outcomes, but they're very much relational, and they get into uh, some structural and and systematic things when they have the the three A plus model and so on. But what I like about our framework is it it shows where the soil right uh, the importance of soil, which is more than just a mindset and more than just the way we see other people. There's this deeper level to it. Right, the deeply C section, which really connects people to their purpose. Uh, it connects them to this sort of deep level of of understanding their suffering, of understanding their their uh, you know their emotions and how those might be getting in the way. It really takes a deep dive on at the individual level, but it connects all towards this idea of accomplishing a result or fruit. And then this the seeds and the weeds are so important as well because those are very tangible. Seeds are ideas. And just because we see people as people doesn't mean that all of a sudden the fruit is going to happen or that the outcome is going to be accomplished. Obviously, we need to spend a lot of time in in innovating, in innovation, identifying the fruit. We need to spend a significant amount of time in uh, being stewards of the conflict uh, that we are bound to experience if we're not experiencing it already. And then leveraging that to become a transformative catalyst uh, to help us accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. So there's a lot packed into it and we're, we're going, we're giving a very high level view on it. Um, But what else, what else to add to kind of the big picture of, of the framework itself?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, you've really encapsulated it there. I think, you know, just in the imagery, the big thing is what we talked about with soil, you know, people is the foundation of all of it. And that's the connection Arbinger makes, you know, that, that mindset does have a connection to our results. and, And we certainly, you know, the framework certainly acknowledges that truth. People are the foundation. People are the ones who are going to engage in our ideas and our programs and in these, you know, and often are frequently the ones we're creating some sort of transformation or fruit on behalf of. And people are also the ones who are going to engage in conflict. And so, you know, people is the foundation. But I think what the framework does, what you were just talking about, is it recognizes that, you know, you even could take it as, as an even truer and deeper way of seeing people. And that's where, you know, we mm-hmm. talk about deep, deeply seeing you know demands that we don't just stop at this internal you know perspective that we have on others but it actually asks us to take action and do something about that and and to be intelligent in the way we go about trying to really help people and really try to make that transformational change and that's where seeds and weeds come in to play because you know seeds are going to be our, our strategic and our ta- you know whatever whatever strategy and way and behaviors we're going to do to actually achieve that transformation those are going to be the ideas we have, which are our seeds and, you know, weeds can be the inhibiting force, but they also can be a constructive force. And I just think, you know, you know, part of it's the idea of seeing people as people soil's of a foundation, but I also think it even speaks to a more true aspect of this that like, if, if we're really seeing people as people, then we need to engage in those things. We can't just stop at that internal perspective changing.
0: Yeah, no, you're spot on with it. Spot on with it. Um, all in all, the the curriculum itself has, I think, taken a couple of really large leaps um, in a in in a great direction, which is the purpose of creating a curriculum that helps create conditions for transformational change. You know, I'll be the first to say that our curriculum is not transformative by itself, right? But I believe that the way it navigates individuals' thinking and introspection helps create those conditions for transformational change. I believe that it can be applied to any organization. I believe that any any individual or leader can apply it, take on that lens, and they immediately start to see their world differently. And this podcast is actually a great bit of research on it. It's a great case study of that because we have guests from all over and a large majority of them have no idea what the framework is, but it organically comes up and people start to relate to it immediately. And so it simplifies a lot of the dynamics that we face not just in relationships, but in the organizational space, in our community, and it can be really unifying. Um, and so we learned, you know, the the whole reason why we created it, which I, I can't recall if I mentioned this in the early episodes, um, and uh, and TK, if you have any thoughts on this, because you are familiar with the Arbinger material, you're familiar with Dangerous Love and other, you know, other things out there, especially in kind of the peace peace building world and conflict uh, resolution world. Um the reason why this was created we were using a lot of outward mindset curriculum in our community we still are their curriculum is amazing right they're the best in the in the world i would say it at, at helping people go on a really incredible journey of un, unpacking and discovering self-deception understanding how they often are the reason why I think they, they're often the they're often the one that's getting in the way right uh, uh of of their own success and i think that that's a crucial piece um, but that's really what their curriculum's is aimed to do. And they've done a f- fantastic job at it. And it's so applicable for organizations. And there's, so, you know, there's, they have a, just an incredible team working on it, but we still use their curriculum. But what we found, what I found, because I was the one on the ground, you know, working with people, leveraging outward mindset to be this catalyst in a community to bring it together. And it was doing magnificent things. I mean. A couple thousand people in just a, in just a couple of years went through the outward mindset training. Just incredible. Everybody started talking about outward mindset. This sense of seeing people was just enhanced at a community level, which that that's really key, and that's probably the most important thing that happened. Right? Was that this this openness and honesty about the importance of seeing other people as people was now on the table. Before nobody talked about that. It was kind of just this idealistic goal and expectation people have when they show up to the to the table right uh when you have a bunch of community leaders come together that's just kind of this it's a very idealistic thing nobody really talks about it nobody really gets into how to do it or why it's so important but outward mindset started to create that environment and culture's people were always talking about it um and so it was so exciting for us but after a little while we begin to we be i began to see how There was a much deeper level that the community could take to really become transformative, to not just be talk, to not just talk about seeing people, but to now see why it's so crucial for a community success, for organizations to see why that principle is a piece of the pie to their organizational success, uh, which now contributes to their community success. Uh, And so there was a deeper level just theoretically that we could go, but even practically, there's a deeper level that we could go with creating the rooted framework is because it allowed us to now engage with organizations and with leaders in a completely different way, in a more intimate, um, more authentic environment that we could help them get to. Right? Uh, Because I always say this about the outward mindset materials, it can be incredibly deep, right? If you let it take you there, right? Um, But the curriculum in itself is not set up to take you to this really deep aha moment. Um, and I've seen hundreds, thousands of people experience one or the other, right? Sometimes they're like, this is great. This is good. This can be good for my team. This is great team building. This is great concepts, great ideas. And others, they go through this completely transformational experience in their life, like a whole awakening. And and I love when that happens. And so another reason for the behind the Rooted Framework was to help take people to that point, to this really deep transformative moment, because a community will not change. Um, uh, an organization will not change in a transformative way unless people have those moments. I'm a big believer in that transformation is not a transactional blink of an eye. Oh, okay. Moment. That's not transformation. Transformation is undergoing a complete change, which requires a complete change in people. So you don't have transformative change without a transformative change in first starting in people, uh, and so our curriculum really wants to help get people to that point and create the conditions for that, which was another reason why we created the curriculum. Um, and we, want, we like to use it in tandem, obviously, with the Outward Mindset material, because they're obviously so amazing at, at talking about mindset, talking about self-deception. Um, but our curriculum is, is in a completely different lane of helping people get to this point of, of what transformation means, how to see it. And then how to allocate resources to different areas of their organization and life to create it. Uh, how to know when they've when it's been accomplished and so on. Uh, and so I've been rambling a lot about that. Uh, obviously, you know, we're both passionate about the material. I think we probably spent the most time in it, you and I. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> obviously, me, you know, initial, you know, initially creating it and spending hours and hours and hours in it. Mm-hmm. But you've spent four months with that being every your only thing every day, all day. So really curious about how you see it being a great foundation uh and even soil for these other awesome ideas and content out there um and how it becomes this holistic approach to transformation and again it is not the transformation but it can help create the conditions for it so does that make sense yeah it's the catalyst yeah
1: yeah um and so wait so you're just are you Repeat your question.
0: I want to hear your thoughts on how you see it as a great foundation to build upon, right? For, uh, mm-hmm. for organizations, no matter if they're using outward mindset, using something like dangerous love, they're using whatever, el- what, whatever else is out there. Those are just too close to us. Yeah, certainly. But there's plenty of other things and theories of change and leadership theory that's out there. Why is the rooted framework something that can be foundational um, not because it's, well, because it has a holistic approach, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's the key of why the rooted framework has that value is because it's taking this wealth of information that exists in the world about leadership, about these different skills and topics that I think are really important to leaders and just in transformation in general. And it's trying to put them all in one place and say, okay, how, you know, obviously we can't control change. We can't control people transforming, but how do we give it the highest probability of success? And we pull from all these different resources. You know, we have soil, which is really analogous to what Arbinger does in our mindset. And while there's obviously a lot more in soil than just how we see people, you know, there's a strong correlation there. You know, weeds being conflict has a strong correlation to dangerous love. And, you know, there could be other connections you can make with seeds as well. But we're pulling all this in and saying, how do we combine? and condense and, and put this all together to, to find, you know, again, we can't force it, we can't control it, but how do we create that, the greatest probability of success yeah. uh, for change by doing that? And that's what I think, you know, from looking at it from that widespread transformational perspective, that's, what, that's what's unique about it. Nothing else has that wide holistic approach that the rooted framework is bringing to the table.
0: hmm Yeah, there are, you know, some very academic... But it gets lost in jargon and can be very confusing. And I've seen several um, that show kind of this whole organizational, you know, change uh, perspective, right? That's that's holistic as well, but very academic, lots of jargon involved. And so that brings us to the idea of this. The, the, well, the simplicity behind the analogy of soil, seeds, and weeds. I mean, I haven't met anyone that doesn't get it. They only have to be a gardener, a farmer to just understand that, but I think there, there's power, and we talk about this mm-hmm. in the introduction, in our curriculum, there's power and meaning in the analogy. People, since the beginning of <laughs> of our civilizations, have found meaning from the earth, right? Uh, not just from a scientific uh, standpoint, right? That there's so much science and and understanding that we can learn about our history in the world, in the actual earth and in the actual soil and in how things grow or do not grow. But then there's religious entities as well that that relate yeah. things all the way back to the earth or the dust, right? So I think that there's a power there that probably is more subconscious for people than than they realize. But I think that's why people quickly relate to it. There's no explanation of that's a dumb analogy. Why would you use that? People are immediately, oh, I get it. It clicks. Yeah. Clicks for me. And, and there's a power as well, I think, you know, and
1: this is part of how you've just structured, I think, the Leadership Institute, is you also kind of create this community around it by having an analogy like that. I mean, I, you can see this, that Arbinger has done this as well. And so to some extent, to dangerous level, you know, being in the box mm-hmm. or seeing people's people, our mindset, you know, the, there's these words that, You create a language and a a meaning and we we create these things, you know, it's really easy just to go back and we say, you know, something I hear all the time at the leadership and say, oh, I need to cultivate the soil. You know, we we create this language Mm -hmm. that becomes this, this, this bridge that builds across all these different leaders and across all these different people and allows it to be something that's constant because I think that's, you know, what you mentioned earlier is really important is transformation takes time. It doesn't just happen immediately. and I, I know for me, and I'm, I would assume for you too, part of the reason Arbinger and other things were so transformative for us is because we had a unique opportunity to study at a university where that was constantly talked about, you know, for me for four
0: years. We let it take us to those places.
1: Yeah. And we stuck with it because I also know tons of people that will have that transformative experience, but then they don't do the work or they don't, you know, they kind of forget about it or they're not in the environment, whatever it is. And they forget about it and they stop mm-hmm. seeing people as people, you know, because most, most of the people I know who, who have done that, 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 that's been Arbinger, that's been yeah. what they've on.
0: And it's not that they stop seeing people as people, it's that they stop being aware to the fact that they see people as objects.
1: Yeah, they, they're <laughs> right? no longer, they, you, they, they fall back into self-deception.
0: There's a sense of, yeah, a sense of awareness kind of yeah. diminishes because it's not like we live our full lives always seeing each other, others as people. We're not always in I-thou I, relationships. But the difference, and it doesn't make us any better or worse than others, it's just that we're committed to uh, a level of introspection and awareness to try to be alive to the fact that we might do that.
1: Yeah, And I think, you know, again, part of the way that the Leadership Institute is structured is, you know, you have it for a year, but then you also have these events where you invite alumni to come back, either as mentors or to other events. And you keep it alive. Mm -hmm. And that exposure, I think, is important because as much as you know, it always is our choice. We always are the ones in control of how we see people and what kind of relationship we have, creating that environment, you know, like we say, creating conditions for transformation, I think is actually really important to Mm -hmm. allow people to have that exposure, you know, as much as possible to the ideas that refreshment to be able to constantly be like, okay, you know, well, you know, I'm learning about soil again, I'm hearing it again, and Mm -hmm. I'm not just letting it fall back and say, Oh yeah, that leadership thing I did, you know, two years ago, but it's, yeah. it's something that's constantly alive in their lives. Yeah.
0: And, and I love the idea of, of the language that you talked about that we're creating because again, people talk about cultivation all the time. They talk about being rooted in, which brings yep. a whole new meaning for people. You know, we, t- the way that we talk about transformation and innovation actually, I think comes to life for people because innovation is a term that people bounce around. Right. Yeah. But What does it actually mean? Hmm. Uh, and I don't know if a lot of people take the time to really understand what it means or what are the conditions for innovation to even prosper and happen. And, and transformation is largely untouched. And I th- again, I think we use transformation inappropriately often, um, but I think the the true meaning, at least how we define it, is it's a deep, deep change yeah. right, for the better. And so there's this language that we've created around it, and we have other things all throughout the curriculum as well. We talk about want, desire, uh, want and desire, you know, belief- uh, we talk about versions of up and down pride, which again, face value, those terms can mean anything for anyone, but we create a a curriculum and an experience for people to where those terms mean something different. Um, there's obviously power in that. That's what curriculum is obviously yeah. designed to do. Um, but, uh, I love that you, that you brought that up, um, because that is kind of a, one of those natural outcomes, um, that we've seen and, something else that you said that's really intriguing is is it's created this com- sense of community. And we we often say, we always say our brand is our community. We have zero reason to exist other than for our community. And then in the future, thinking of other communities, because we're not a for-profit venture. We're not making any money off this. This is completely philanthropic. It's completely coming from this desire, uh, which our our benefactors, a desire for them that comes from God, right? And many of us here, but you can even take that out of the equation. It's simply a desire to improve a community and help people, right? Uh, that's what all of this is. That's the motivation behind all of this. And that motivation is a key concept as well, because you said it creates a sense of community where people now have something to respond to. They have something that unites them uh, in a in a world where we're very ununited. As we're creating experience for people and leaders specifically, where they now have this camaraderie, this some this thing that unites them so they can come together in completely new ways that they never even thought about coming together before. Uh, and that's that's powerful, but I, I believe it comes down to this idea of, of motivation, that it gives people something to respond to um, and be motivated about. And although I don't believe with some of the early uh, motivation theory thought of by, you know, what were called the behaviorists, which were solely believed that there was, you know, the idea of, of agency and freedom of choice was an illusion. They f- they felt like there was always, we were always in response to different, uh, what's the word? Um, stimulus, right? We're always in response to the stimuli around us. And so therefore we actually don't have a choice uh, because the stimulus is telling us what we want to choose, right? So this is really fascinating if you think about that, uh, because I think there is some truth to that. I do think that we all have our own will and agency. Obviously we have, we get to choose what stimuli we want to to follow but a commu- if you don't have if you have a community and you're not providing something this is what i'm getting to in the research in our in my research on community transformation if there's not something for people to respond to in a transformative way in a deep and authentic meaningful way then you're never there's never going to be a condition for the transformation to happen and so what is in our communities now that provide that organizations provide that now they have to religious entities provide that. They have to, right? Uh, They provide something that's meaningful and deep and authentic for people to respond to. That's why you go to church. Organizations that have great cultures, the same thing. But what is that in a community? Is that the government's job? Is that the city government or the local or county government's job to create that, right? I don't think it is. I don't think it's anybody's specific job. I think it's the community's job. And so all we're doing with Groundwork is trying to create those conditions for people to come to that realization that there's something bigger than my one organization here. There's something bigger than my one family here. There's something bigger than my pocket and my street and my neighborhood. And it's our entire community. And we need all of those those entities to have something that brings that to respond to, that stimulus, right? To even want to go and... And participate in transformative change. Because transformative change is not easy. It's hard, right? And mm-hmm. we learned about that in, in obviously in conflict and peace building theory. It's very, very challenging. In fact, there's a gap that, bef- you know, there's a gap from res- resolution to transformation for a reason. And so our effort in groundwork and in this curriculum is to bridge that gap. How can we start bridging that gap for and providing steps for people uh, or a rope or whatever we want to call it? to help people get closer to transformation because they are the ones that make it happen. We don't. Um, but groundwork is the attempt to help people do that. Uh, and, and I love, it's a blessing to me to be a part of something like that. It's a blessing to have the leaders that we have uh, here, uh, that have that vision and that desire, right. To do that with their resources and their money and their time to, to employ people like us to work on something like that. We're not, you know, you weren't our intern typing in numbers in a computer and data or putting together widgets. You certainly weren't grabbing coffee and drinks and lunches for people. You know, it's such a blessing to be a part of that, but we have to really believe in it, right? We have to really believe in the curriculum. Um, And so talk to, and I know I'm having long tangents and I hope you're okay with that. I'm really talking out loud and you're somebody to talk to here, but, uh, and you have great feedback and response to all of this, which is incredibly valuable. And so one thing I want you to add to this is how has it changed you? How has all of this kind of added to your, you know, repertoire, your tool belt as you've been right in the thick of learning peace theory, right in the thick of of being exposed to things, you know, as a student uh, in academia, how does this add to all of that and prepare you for what you will enter to be a very real and practical, not sorry, very real and tangible world, you know, after your grad school, you're going to have to go and engage with with organizations, whatever it is that you do, how's it changed you from a professional level and a personal level, if at all? And it, it's fine to be like, oh no, it has, you know, it hasn't. It's just helped me think about things differently. But has it changed you at all? If so, I'd love to hear it. If not, you know, you can pr- provide general thoughts, I guess, on on it. I'm certainly not want, trying to corner you into to share something that you don't uh, feel. But in some of our conversations that we've had offline, I believe that you have uh, some. Yeah, Some great things to say and respond to that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we talk about personal, you know, personally, how it's personally changed and transformed me, you know, I think two things come to my mind um, as I think about this. I think one I reflect on, you know, before I worked here, I worked at the David O. McKay Center for Intercultural Understanding. And we, as part of that, as being a field director there, our our job was really to work in the community at La of and and to find opportunities to apply what we've been learning it was was kind of this idea of a living laboratory and i reflect on a lot of my work there because we were very project centric Mm -hmm. a lot of the times it was it was a lot of seeds if we were to put it into the rooted framework language you know it's about finding seeds and just finding ways that we feel like we could you know have something to do almost and i think you know had i had the rooted framework at the time i think i would have Asked very different questions, and would have approached projects I did, and probably would have found very different projects as well, because I, I I just think about that pattern of organizing thoughts and behaviors. I think you know a big thing is thinking about what kind of change and transformation am I actually seeking by doing you know by engaging in this this seat or in this project? Why am I doing it in the first place? And that focus and on purpose, I think you know, it is transformative and gives you a ton of direction, you know, and part of me just wishes that that would, it would have been my perspective back then, but it's something that I know that I have now moving forward, you know, obviously I'm not going to go back to work there, but I'm going to be continuing to professionally work and hopefully peace building, uh, the, the peace building world and conflict resolution. And so I think it's that, that, that overall pattern of organization that the root framework brings. That I think is critical because I I think you need each of those different steps of soil, seeds, and weeds for any sort of transformation to take place to, to get the fruit to get the result. Yeah, you can't you know fruit fruit doesn't grow out of soil grows out of seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and as important as people and the foundation are, you need I, I think about this all the time. Like there needs to be an intelligent and practical uh, approach to how we're actually seeking that transformation. And I, I know we've talked about you know one of the specific areas I really want to study in moving forward is this idea of evaluation and going back and looking mm-hmm. at the practicality of actually what we did yeah. and how did it actually produce the fruit. So that's the first thing that I would say is, you know, is, is that focus that just that, you know, that 50,000 foot view of the rooted framework and the focus and direction it brings.
0: Yeah. Is there more? I have one, I have one follow-up question to that, but yeah, I'm let's talk
1: anything. about that and then I'll throw the second one.
0: Yeah. So I have a question because you know, I was also studied peacebuilding. I was a field director there, assistant director at that at that center, the McKay Center, right? A peace, essentially, for any listeners, peacebuilding center, and it is very project oriented. And if you think about it, peacebuilding in general, as a profession, is is project oriented in a lot of ways, right? It's a lot of initiatives, it's a lot of programs, it's a lot of seed planting, right? Now we know as practitioners in peacebuilding that it's really a lot of cultivating of soil if you yeah. do it right. Um, but, uh, it can be seen and perceived as seed planting. And I think even students might see it that way. Yeah, We had another alumni from the peace center that I had on the show just yesterday. Um, uh, Chris, uh, Udall, his episodes probably, you know, by the time you're listening, anybody's listening to this, it's probably released. He shared a story of, you know, he has this non this NGO nonprofit called rebuild for peace. They basically go into communities where there's a lot of illicit trades, human trafficking, you know, drugs. Uh, you name it, right? And they try to help those individuals that are involved in that, as we would see the perpetrators, the ones actually running the show, you know, as he calls them, illicit entrepreneurs, and now give them something in an, another way to focus those energies and those talents and then build a business for themselves. So they bring in the trades, right? Um, you know, very technical trades, manufacturing I, I, it could be one, right? Construction, another, right? And so- uh, they have this one location. I can't remember where, but uh, he knew this this individual, this this woman who wanted to go and you know, probably obviously a wonderful person, but proclaimed peace builder. Which I, I'm a proclaimed peace builder, right? They wanted to go in this village and provide and create a school for for women to be able to develop skills and a trade to then go and be entrepreneurs and go and you know get great jobs, etc. And so that was her goal, and she went in there she she started it, she was kidnapped uh, quickly, you know, because this was a, an ISIS village and so there was all sorts of stuff that happened luckily she was released un- unharmed through, you know the negotiation process, whatever okay, and so that was that was a peace builder that went in, had a seed gonna go in, gonna go plant it right, uh, and probably knew all about how to create a good seed and how to get the most out of a great seed because I feel like we learn a lot of that in peace building but Uh, or maybe we don't, maybe that is the question. Maybe we don't learn a lot about that in peace building, but ultimately, you know, Chris went in, in there and he spent time building relationships with the, what would be equivalent to the mayor, you know, the community leader and just building a relationship, just listening and understanding and learning, come to find out what are the needs that your village has. And he was the one that brought up, you know, our women are in a very dangerous environment and they're suffering. They don't have any opportunities. And so what would be great here is something for them, you know, something to help them have those opportunities and to learn valuable skills that they can go out and, and make money for themselves, et cetera. And he said, great. That's what he exactly what he wanted to do. But his approach was different. He went and cultivated the soil first. Um, but then there's this whole level of now creating and getting the most out of the seats. And I'm rambling again. So I want to stop because my question, <laughs> my question is, do you feel like one that peace building as a profession is seen as a lot of seed planting you know do people do you think people have that perception i i don't know the answer to that this question just came to mind and do you feel that people or students that go through for example the peace building program that we were both a part of perhaps are not fully equipped on how to get the best out of their seeds how to get the best fruit it's just as maybe they see it in in a way that sometimes isn't isn't very per- tangible or practical which i know because a lot of classmates of mine they kind of gave up on peace building because it became too challenging or so on. So, that's a loaded question, but I really am curious of your thoughts. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, you know, I, I think on one hand, I think a lot of reasons it's difficult is I think peace building is a really slow process. I, I'm sure Chris, who's, you know, the other Chris who was the one you talked to about that, uh, I, I'm sure that t- was a long process of building those relationships to get to the point where he actually was able to do that. And I think what happens, is I, I, I just think. In peace building, uh, you know, I'm about to graduate and I think we leave that program really enthusiastic about change, really enthusiastic great. about mm-hmm. the potential for peace in the, the world. The stimulus is there. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're confronted with the reality that as, as enthusiastic and as possible as I really think and I think we all think peace, peace is, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. And it can be really easy to get discouraged. And, you know, you know, I, I think so, so. I think what happens is, you know, sometimes I think we, we rush into mm-hmm. kind of sounds like that first story. We kind of rush into creating the project and the seed um, and, and trying to plant it and trying to, to reap the benefits because we really believe in it. We really want to see it happen. But we don't always remember. Because I, I definitely think we're taught to take that approach that Chris took to, you know, to build those oh, relationships. Yeah, sure. th- I think that's a very clear message. But I think sometimes we just, you know, we get so excited about it. About that, the seed. About the seed. And, you know, we, we often, you know, I know so many people who have this, this, this passion for like a specific issue or topic or thing that they really want to do and take their peace building and go and, go and do that with. Um, and, and I think we just get, you know, we get so focused on that. Is just throw the seed out. Yeah. In
0: uncultivated soil.
1: Yes. And so I think, you know, it, it, if we take it back to the root Framework, I think another way that we see the value in the rooted framework is it ascribes to what what are a lot of principles, all of which I think are, are we learn in a lot of what you know we've put into this and that you've put into this when you designed it is things that are taught at the center. Um, but but describing a process to it, you know, you don't plant the seed in toxic soil. You have to do the cultivation before you do innovation. Um, and so and again, I think that that's taught. But I think putting a language to it, putting you know visuals like we've done to it. And putting, that, putting it into a pattern exactly, I think, is what enables people to step back and say, okay, I love this seed. I really want to create this fruit, this outcome. I really want it. But I know, because of, of how this all set up, that I'm never going to get it if I don't cultivate the soil first. Mm-hmm. And I think it provides almost, you know, it almost is a strategy at that point to how do we most effectively create those conditions for transformational change? And it's trying to say, you know, there's all this stuff and we're trying to rein it in. We're trying to put it into a cohesive process and pattern so that we can have the best chance of doing it.
0: Yeah. Another thing that I think it it does, which we haven't touched a lot on, we don't really spend a lot of time on it, but is the weeds, right? Because in, in peace building, I think it's rare because most people have a pretty negative perspective on conflict. Now in the organizational business world, a lot of people will say, Pot conflict's good, but what they're referring to is a form of process conflict, right? Sure. Or task conflict, which we talk about in the framework mm-hmm. and in our curriculum. Um, but most people don't like conflict, and dangerous love is masterful at talking about why we don't like love. There's fear involved, right? But what I think the framework helps us helps create is just getting okay with the and accepting the fact that conflict's going to happen. Right. Just like if you look at a, a garden or a plot of soil, there is nobody on earth, anybody that's a, you know, that is a farmer or a, or a master gardener that is ever going to have a weed free garden. They just won't. Right. It takes constant time in the soil cultivating it, dealing with the weeds. Master gardener knows you can't just chop it off at the top. You got to get to the root of it. And so weeds are a huge part of our soil. But I think we often try to avoid it. Right. And so another thing in peace building that I think happens, and it's funny how we've gotten on this topic of peace building, but I think peace builders, they see themselves as I'm going to go and help engage in the weeds, but they don't necessarily see the weeds that they're going to experience in the process themselves, mm. right? The weeds that come along with creating this wonderful fruit that they're trying to create of getting the most out of the seed of cultivating the soil They they don't necessarily see and are prepared for the weeds that are going to happen in that process for them, yeah. they're more thinking about the weeds that they're going to help engage with, right? Uh, yeah. And not fully aware of the weeds that they're going to engage in their own process of producing fruit. Because um, I saw to myself, for me, it was a lack of understanding and preparation of, oh my gosh, there's, you know, I want to be the one that's helping, but I, don't, I wasn't fully prepared of, wow, I have to experience all of these same, the same conflict in the same way. And so what that framework does, I I believe, I hope it does, is helps people see that conflict is just a part of the process and that it's something you should expect. It's like the air that we breathe. It's neither negative. It's neither positive. It's what we do with it, which we do learn in peace building. But I think that now placing it in the importance of soil and how that all relates to the fruit um, deepens understanding there. Yeah. Yeah. Any more thoughts on the weeds before? I would love to hear your second piece of how this has changed you.
1: No, I think that's great. I, yeah, I yeah. Well, let's it up.
0: we're we're running low on time, so let's hear this. If there's a second and third thing of how you feel the 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 framework has impacted you. I know, as we were talking, changing to- is kind of an arrogant term. So,
1: <laughs> how has it impacted you? Yeah, <laughs> it's completely changed Max everything differently now. <laughs> well, you know, as we were talking, I did think of it. You know, I had another one, and then I thought of another one. Um, which i which I think ties in you know this next one I'll talk about I think just ties in really well to what we've already talked about today but also to one of the big changes, wh- which can seem really surface level, which is just the terminology change because before you know when we talked about soil and what determines if it's healthy or toxic, you know we would use you know whatever the terms you know whatever the terms we were using were and and we focused in in, in this iteration on the idea of I it and I thou and this idea that you know we're always in relationship. Mm. With one another we we can't actually escape that, That that that's just how it is, yeah, just like soil, you know we, we kind of you know we have that visual now of the, the the personal versus collective soil, you know we all have our personal plots, but you know that's just in the context of a larger plot of the collective soil, whether that's our community or our organization. oh, that was a loud noise batteries running low, I know we gotta gotta wrap it up Um, and so i I think. To me, what the impact is of that to me is, is I just think that makes me feel much more responsible for the kind of relationships that I have. Because I think when we talk about, you know, and in the context of seeing people's people, seeing people's objects, you know, there's this this thing we always say, in arbiter, which I think is true, but I know that I've often used it as justification to continue, you know, what with, with the phrase is, you know, we can do almost any behavior in one of two ways. We can yeah. do it seeing people's people or seeing people's objects. And I'm like, you know, I, and, you know, I, I feel like I frequently in my life use that, to do a behavior that I know isn't the best for the relationship. And I'm like, you know, I'm still seeing them as a person and you know, uh-huh. I'll say that, but I, I don't really want to engage with them in this way or do this thing. So I'm going to, I still see them as a person. My perception not changed, but I don't really want to
0: do that. Yeah.
1: But now when I think about it in the context of I, it and I, thou, you know, if I, I really want a thou relationship, this relationship that really sees the common humanity, I really want to, you know, and we've talked about that other additional principle this idea of the space in between us, what are we putting into that space? Mm-hmm. How are we nurturing and, and caring, um, for that space. Um, and, you know, I, I can't say at that point, well, you know, I can do, I can either not do it or do it. You know, uh, if I, you know, I'm still seeing them as a person, maybe that's true, but you know, if I'm really wanting that kind of relationship with them, that's, that's an I, Thou relationship. If I really want to cherish that space that exists between us, I, I realize, I think I've realized even as I've been here, you know, relationships where it's been applicable and I'm like, you know, I have to actually do something. Mm -hmm. I can't just, you know, sit back.
0: Yeah. I love that you bring this up because this is a recent development with our curriculum of focusing more on that. And the hyphen in I, it and I, thou is so important because it emphasizes what you said, the relationship. But what I like about, and you, you touched on this briefly, is that in my mind, it's more tangible. What, is a, what, what can be very philosophical actually becomes a lot more practical and tangible, right? It can be very philosophical to say we're always in relation to others. But where just stating it as seeing people or seeing objects can be very, very kind of, again, idealistic. It can be you can't see it. It's not something that is is tangible or felt. It can be easily justified and, and it can just be a great idea, right? Um, but not always applied, not always seen as a thing that I need to change more than just how I'm seeing but when you start to see this relationship and you start to see the hyphen, now, like you said, there's responsibility on my side. It's a relationship that I'm in and I'm either building it or I'm destroying it. And so it makes it a lot more tangible, especially for our leaders and others that go through our curriculum to know that when we say seeing, see people, it's not just a mindset and a change in how you see, right? It's more than that. It's there's a relationship that you get to choose to have. I it, I thou. Either way, the relationships exi- relationship exists, but now what do you do about it? How do you build it instead of destroy it? Because there's no middle area. There's no just, oh, I don't want to build it or destroy it. I'm just going to have it be. There is no just have it be. Having it just be is destroying it, right? And that makes perfect sense You know, in our analogy of soil. you know, If you just leave a plot of
1: soil alone and you don't engage with it, what's going to happen? Hard. It's going to get hard. It's going to lose
0: all of its nutrients. It's going to be transactional. It's going to respond always to, an, to its environment alone. It's never going to do anything. It's yeah. just going to be, right? Yeah. Uh, and and by being, it's going to be less ready for cultivation, which makes it worse, right? Yep. It's going to be less ready for planting, I should say, not cultivation. Less ready for planting. Weeds will multiply. Yeah. yeah. And that's another good point is, you know, it's often in those plots of soil that the weeds
1: just exponentially
0: mm-hmm. start popping up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's happening in my... Yard that we just moved into, just so many weeds. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, listen, we, we got to wrap up, but I've this has been really fun, uh, TK. This is, uh, this is definitely a top of the barrel conversation <laughs> here, but we did have to dig deep into to talk about some of these things. I think it, our curriculum is really foundational. We're not trying to pat ourselves on the back or say that it's so amazing. Um, what we are trying to do is see that it is, is help individuals see that it can be helpful, right? It's not an end all fix all by any means. Um, but it's a helpful lens to put on and see all the things that you're already are doing to see everything that you already think about. But now it's a new lens. It's a new set of goggles um, that you're putting on. And And I think you've spoken really well to it. Um, I think that not only have you contributed to our institute by participating in a podcast and sharing some of your insight and thoughts, you've greatly impacted uh I know you're gonna to continue to work with us remotely, but uh you've greatly impacted um the the rooted framework and the things that we're doing um and uh and so I know that you are part of being an influence for good uh in the world, which I know is something that you you care about um so i I appreciate you and you know I'm happy to let everybody who's who's listening to this know that that uh, I appreciate you and and i hope that that uh you know our our paths will stay close um for many years. Um, but, uh, any last thoughts before we wrap it up, my
1: friend? No, I think that's great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. This has been a fun episode. Hopefully uh, you've enjoyed it listeners. And, uh, this is a great episode to dive into a little bit of our curriculum you know, theoretically, and kind of a big picture. We didn't get the opportunity to dive into some of the practical details of it. But this is hopefully has been informative and and helps you make sense of any of our other episodes and topics that we discuss. But with that, uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, be safe. Take care. Until next time.